Go ahead and be seated for a moment. This morning, uh, that song brings to my mind the fact that we have basically three themes or three threads running through our entire time today. The first is this constant awareness of God's faithfulness. And no matter what your circumstances might be in this very moment, that does not determine the faithfulness of God. God is always faithful. The second theme we'll be talking through today is suffering, especially suffering for doing what is right. And both of those themes come together to form a third, which is the longing in the heart for home. The longing to just finally be home. To finally be done with this world, sin, death, and all that goes with it, and to finally be home. In 1986, believe it or not, I was a youth pastor. I lasted about a year and a half. I was not nearly as fun as my son. And uh, one of the very first lessons I taught that group was from 1 John 2.28. The verse says, My little children abide in him, continue in him, remain in him, that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Both sides, confident, I got caught doing the right thing, unashamed, I didn't get caught doing the wrong thing, which reminds me of this phrase that we thought through last week and we're continuing to think through this week, did I disobey God in anything? I love taking that question during the week and asking different people, what is that doing to them? And, and the wording of that particular phrase seems to have a sense of, uh, it's a little more oppressive than some of the other questions. Did I disobey God in anything? Did, did I get caught doing something wrong? What I love about these questions is that God has now the ability to take the question and roll it around in your mind and take it in different places. And for me, the place he took it was not the, the, um, the dark side of that, but actually the brighter side. My little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may be confident. We may have that opportunity to hear from his lips, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of my heaven. You see, that is part of this as well. And so this morning, as, as we move into our communion piece, uh, we're going to be taking our normal moment of silence. And during that silence, I want you to think, what would it be like to stand before the God of heaven and hear the words, you did a good job. Maybe it's something you long to hear from a parent or a boss or, or a spouse all your life. But now you're finally hearing it from someone that really matters. The king of the universe. The one who created your hands and your feet and your heart. You did a good job. Come on in. Well done. We'll be listening to a song that uh, I kind of play a lot. I love it. Because it's got that heavenly theme to it. That day that we'll go home and finally be with God. And the words that will start as you're about to go into communion are these. I hear your voice and I catch my breath. Well done, my child. Enter in, in rest. As tears of joy roll down my cheeks, its beauty 
is beyond my wildest dreams. What would it be like to have the beauty beyond your wildest dreams of having God say to you, well done, my child. Well done, good and faithful servant. Sit with that for a moment, and then when the music starts, you can move to one of the four stations around the room and receive communion and hear once again that well done from your Lord. wonder sometimes if when we get to heaven, God will give us three wishes. One of mine will be, let me sing like Phil Wickham for five minutes and play the guitar. I can, oh, five minutes is all I need, just five minutes. I love when a musician is able to take the words, the message of a song and match it with the, the music of the song. And in the way he sang those words, you hear the longing of the heart that says, I can't wait to be home. I want to run on greener pastures. I want to dance on higher hills. I want to drink from sweeter waters in the misty water chill, waters in the misty morning's chill. And my soul is getting restless. Is your soul restless here? My soul is getting restless for the place where I belong. And I can't wait to join the angels and sing my heaven song. Well done, my child. Enter in and rest. Let's stand and sing to our Father. that we can't put in a box, the love that we can't control, Lord, the love that we can't quench. We just thank you so much for your love, Lord. And we know, Father, that you never hide from us, God. And when we seek you out, Lord, you draw close to us. We thank you that we never have to chase you down, God. But we thank you that you chase us down at times. Father, I pray that we would be aware, Lord, of the incredible, indescribable 
love that you have for us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, for losing an hour, you're doing a great job. It's all right. Lights are coming up, and we're giving you just a minute here. Our servers are going to come in a moment to receive the offering. We're doing it a little different time in the service, so give you a chance to go ahead and prepare for that. And uh, while you do, why don't you explain the box, and then the servers will come. Yeah, so today and Wednesday are the last days to bring in your pot boxes. Rod Carlson's been hard at work making our uh, Jenga, wrapping all of our boxes for Jenga. So again, if you've been drinking pop, bring us those cases. Even if you've ripped off that front piece, totally okay. Uh, Rod's made wonderful things with it. So, awesome. Uh, yeah, it's for our giant game night. We're going to have like 10 or 12 giant games. It's going to be a lot of fun for Refuge this Wednesday. Very good. Servers are coming now to receive the offering, and you should have received your copy of the links this morning in the email. Remember, if you didn't get that, you just go to the bottom of the our front of the, our website, southfieldchurch.com, hit the plus mark, and you can sign up for that. You've got Green Lake registration happening, and it, boy, it looked like the sixth graders are ready to go. Yeah, I'm telling I mean, you they what, just like, wow, they've been waiting all their life for this. <laughs> yeah, for, for years, they've been so excited. They've been watching the videos, yes. and they are pumped. Yes. Uh, yeah, so registration is open, and just so you're aware, reg- we do have mm. registration set to close on May 1st. Now, that sounds like a long ways off. It's going to come like that. Yeah. Uh, we have spring break coming up for school and all that, so again, don't let this registration process uh, be lost on you. Get, make sure that you're getting signed up. Um, talk to your friends. Again, let's, let's get this thing going. Good. We've got some uh, spring groups coming up. They start in April right after Easter. So go ahead and take a look at those. Our approach to spring is generally to offer fewer groups in the spring that end up being larger groups. So uh, go ahead and take a look at those. And for the next couple of weeks, the guys group that meets on Tuesday mornings is not going to be meeting here at church, but we'll be meeting over in Manuka at Teardrop for breakfast at 6.30. We actually gave you a link, uh, RSVP here. That's a link to John Beaker's email. So spam him like crazy. Go ahead and send all kinds of crazy stuff to him. You really don't have to sign up. The main thing it does is gives an idea at about 6.30, uh, 6.27, how many uh, tables to slide together. So if you don't sign up, still come, but it just gives us an idea of what's coming. So we do, do you have other student stuff? Too? Yeah, one more thing for Revive. On April 25th, which is the Sunday that leads into spring break, Revive is going to be meeting for an extra hour. So we'll meet from 5 to 8 because we're going to be doing our photo scavenger hunt, which we'll be sending kids with leaders all over uh, to go take pictures in crazy places like Morris, uh, Joliet. Again, they're going to be all over, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So we want to make sure that we have the extra time. Morris is a crazy place, huh? You ever been there? <laughs> Things are happening in Morris, let me tell you. Right, good deal. The last one I want to show you up there, it, at the bottom it says uh, text to give, and it gives you a place to go ahead and set up with that. No, I've noticed that more and more of you are taking advantage of the text to give opportunity. Uh, feel free to do that. Go ahead and giving online. It works out really great. We're going to offer you uh, today one of the strangest offering opportunities you may have ever received in a church, Okay. So you know that we've got a building going up out, out here, and a lot of you have given toward that, and we're excited about uh, the way that's progressing. One of the pieces that we've been hopeful that we could do during this phase of uh, construction is to take care of uh, a problem around here that we don't like to talk about very much. Uh, it, it's probably the only problem our church has. We stink. Our water stinks. It just does not smell pleasant. I mean, I've literally, I've had people walk out of the bathroom and go, mm, 
Mm, mm, mm. That's some stinky water. And so we are inviting you today to give to the stinky water. All right? You can go ahead and give to the Stinky Water Fund. We would love to get rid of that stinky water. And, and one of the reasons we want to do that, honestly, is to just be able to... Uh, anything that could come between, you know, we don't want your friends saying, I want to go back to your church. Your church stinks. So basically, uh, if, if that's something that you could get excited about, you can go ahead and text to give that this week, or you can go ahead and uh, fill out a check and just put in the memo, Stinky Water. I can't wait to see the reactions at the bank when they wonder what in the world a stinky water check is all about. So anyway, uh, feel free to do that. Well, during this year's journey to the cross, we're looking at a life that was directly touched by Jesus. A life that because of that touch was, was never the same. He could not be the same. We're getting to know a man Jesus renamed in his very first encounter with him. He said, your mom and dad called you Simon, but I'm calling you the rock. What a name. What a solid name. Not pebble or gravel or sand. No, you're the rock. If you look to the north of our property this morning, you will see piles of Peter. Lots of rock. Shanahan pit run. I'm told that when the glaciers retreated north, they melted and left all their junk right on our property. You dig down no more than two feet and you run into Endless amounts of that pit run. It makes for quite an adventure when you're trying to put a post in the ground. Now, there are a couple of advantages of building on pit run. For one, whether it's this project or the new project, we have never been held up because of standing water on our property. Our water drains very well. This place is very porous. It's not only porous, but it is also solid. What did Jesus say about the wise man in Matthew chapter 7? A wise man builds his house on the rock. Rock makes for a great foundation. And Peter is part of the foundation of our church. In Matthew 16, Jesus makes this declaration. You are, now I say to you, you are Peter, which means rock. And on this rock I will build my church. And all the powers of hell can never conquer it. It's an interesting passage. It really leads to a great divide between Christian denominations. Some teach that this passage declares Peter as the foundation stone of the church. Others fight back and say that the key to understanding this verse is really in the words, this rock. Does this rock refer to Peter? Or the declaration made just before, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Let me ask you this. Is it possible it could refer to both? Is it possible it could refer to both? Jesus is referred to in the Bible as the chief cornerstone. The Bible also refers to the church's foundation as being the apostles and the prophets. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, the words of the apostle Paul. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Paul brings it all together. You see, I'm concerned that sometimes in order to guard against biblical error, we throw the baby out with the holy water. Peter is truly part of the foundation of our church along with the apostles and the prophets. Paul declared it so. He doesn't have to be a pope in order for him to be very important. Peter matters to us. And we cannot underplay his essential value to the church of Jesus Christ. So in this Lenten season... 
We are examining this rock. We're holding it in our hands and we're turning it over and over again. We're getting to know him better through one of his letters, through 1 Peter. We're unfolding in this letter four major themes. Salvation, suffering, submission, and servanthood. And today's theme is suffering. Perfect on a day that you lost an hour's sleep. Suffering is a broad theme. You know that we can suffer for doing good. You can do the right thing and suffer. We can suffer for doing the wrong thing. We can be punished. That's a form of suffering. You can suffer for a decision that while it was not wrong, it just wasn't wise. Kind of a dumb decision. And you suffer because of it. We can suffer through no fault of our own. We did nothing to earn or deserve the suffering. It just came upon us. We can suffer from disease, from death, from depression, from desertion. Well, we're going to be looking at one aspect or one type of suffering. The suffering that comes when we do what is right. When we stand for what is right, sometimes we will suffer. The kind of suffering that Jesus referred to in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. He goes on to say, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the exact same way. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we are reminded of a key element of Peter's identity. In verse 1 he writes, And now a word to you who are elders in the church. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. This is the line that I want you to see. I was a witness to the sufferings of Christ. Peter was a virtual eyewitness. He saw the pain that Jesus endured. We know that he was there in the garden. We know that Jesus went to the garden. He took Peter, James, and John with him. He went a little bit further. He had them sit. He went on in. As he did, it says, the Bible says, he was deeply troubled and very much distressed. As we read the whole passage, we find that between naps, Peter witnessed the agony of Jesus in the garden. He heard the words of Christ. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And he was scolded for not staying awake, for letting the flesh overrule what his spirit desired. We also know that he witnessed the arrest of Jesus. He was there when Jesus was taken into custody. He leapt to action and he proved that he was a much better fisherman than a soldier when in wielding that sword, he hacked off the ear of the high priest servant we know he was close by at the trial the bible says that jesus was arrested he was taken to the high priest's home and it says peter followed at a distance not up close at a distance already he's starting to create a little bit of physical space between himself and christ he was close by at the trial but not in the room just nearby and during the trial Peter was creating a comfortable distance through denials between himself and the guy inside 
about to be sentenced to death. On the third denial, we read, at that moment the Lord turned and looked at Peter. What that look must have been like. To know in that moment what you had done and to know that Jesus knew. Suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. You will say you never knew me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping, weeping bitterly. He was a witness to the sufferings of Christ. He was also a recipient of great suffering for Christ. What he writes about suffering is not theoretical. He endured it. He knows what it's like to go through this kind of pain. He was the target of religious persecution. In Acts chapters 4, 5, 6, and 7, we see the early church encountering the wrath of established religion and existing governments. Peter was jailed. He was forbidden to preach. He was jailed again. The Bible says he was flogged. He was beaten severely. He watched as a man he had chosen to be a deacon of the church was taken into a courtyard and stoned by a mob. The first martyr of the church, Stephen. In this season of suffering, Peter makes some really important declarations. First, in Acts 5.29, Peter makes a reference to a power greater than any earthly power. And that when those two powers conflict, the greater power is always to be obeyed. He says we must obey God rather than any human authority. When human law conflicts with God's law, human law can be disobeyed and should be disobeyed in order to obey our Lord. And an immoral human law is no law at all, according to Peter. The other statement he made was a statement of privilege. The apostles left the high priest council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. They rejoiced that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And that worthy, that worthy status inspired them to keep meeting, to keep teaching, to keep declaring the truth about Christ. It is here that we want to dwell today. A major theme of both of Peter's letters is the theme of suffering. In particular, the suffering that comes when we publicly own the name of Jesus. The suffering that comes when we stand for what is biblical. The suffering that comes when we determine that the law of God trumps the law of man. And we choose to stand for God no matter what man may say or what man, or what man may do to us. Do we rejoice when God counts us worthy to suffer disgrace for his name? You, you may be thinking, hey, well, to the best of my knowledge, nobody in this room has been jailed or beaten for their faith, right? That's true. But I can name a few who could say they took a moral stand at work and it cost them a position or promotion. I know more than one who's lost a friendship or has been abandoned in a relationship because they took a stand for Christ. I know some who have taken a stand for Jesus in the classroom and have taken heat for it. Do we rejoice when God counts us worthy to suffer disgrace 
for the name of Jesus. So what I want to do this morning is a survey of some of Peter's key thoughts on suffering from this letter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, he writes, So be truly glad. Now, we said this whole series is about the ways in which Peter was influenced by Jesus, the ways that he was touched by Jesus. What did Jesus say about persecution? Be glad, rejoice. Do you think Peter got the message? So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Christ Jesus is revealed to the whole world. Three things here. The first is perspective. Peter says, so be truly glad. Not a suggestion, not just a neat little, let's put this on a post-it on the fridge. This is a command. So be truly glad. James makes a similar declaration in James 1. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has the chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Here's another follower of Jesus with the exact same perspective. Joy, gladness in the face of suffering. Why? Perspective. They're able to see a much larger picture. So what is this valuable perspective that these people share? Well, first, it is knowing that suffering is temporary. It's temporary. Peter says, there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. A little, now you're thinking, no, I've been going through suffering for a long time. 70 years, I can't get them far enough, eternity. Uh, in comparison, our suffering is very short, very short. One of my go-to chapters in the Bible on, on the combination of suffering and the growth that occurs is 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Listen to Paul agree with Peter and James. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and they won't last very long. This is a guy who was regularly beaten for his faith. Okay? This is the guy who's talking theoretically. I wonder what it's like, an American. I wonder what it's like to suffer for my faith. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things we cannot see. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see right now will last forever. There's so much here. But, but these are the words I want you to see. Our present troubles are small and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Paul says they're small. They're temporary. This temporary suffering forms in us a holy longing. It forms in us over the years a craving for something better. I believe that suffering creates in us a craving, a, a longing for home. You know, as the decades progress for me more and more, I do. I look forward to heaven. 
I love these heaven-focused songs of people like Rich Mullins and Tommy Walker and Phil Wickham. You heard it again today in communion. I want to run on greener pastures. I want to dance on higher hills. I want to drink from sweeter waters in the misty morning's chill. And my soul is getting restless. Ah, for the place where I belong, I can't wait to join the angels and sing my heaven song. I'll never forget sitting in church over on Bethel Drive. We were singing uh, Tommy Walker's song, How Could I But Love You? And my friend Carol was battling cancer. She was literally down to skin and bone. In many ways, she didn't look like her anymore. That song was her favorite song during her final season of life. We sang it one morning that she was strong enough to join us. And I watched her lips sing with her eyes closed in a state of true peace. How could I but follow you when someday soon you'll open heaven for me? She sang those words knowing it could be weeks. It could be days. Jesus was open that door, that door, longing for home, holy longing. This kind of suffering creates in us a craving. When it is fully formed, it's not just a desire to escape the pain and sadness and loss and brokenness of this world. It's not just about escape, no. It's about a craving for something more, for something better. It deepens in us a longing for home, a taste for the reason we exist, to be home, to be with God forever. I don't know how else to say this. That, that craving forms in us in all of its fullness through pain and suffering. But we don't like pain and suffering. Life is always supposed to be up and to the right, right? God, God's blessing is always supposed to be washing all over us, right? This pain comes and we think, no, not this, not this. If God loved me, life wouldn't hurt. If God cared for me, it would all work out. And my soul is getting restless for the place where I belong. I can't wait to join the angels and sing my heaven song. The restlessness grows as a distaste for this place intensifies. And the taste for something better increases. Suffering grows in us a longing, a craving for something, for somewhere, for someone better than anything in this life. Now we're in a bit of a spot with this, with this pain thing, a unique spot. We live in a place... And in a time when freedom to embrace Jesus publicly and privately has been protected and promoted. I don't think most of us realize just how unique our experience is to all of human history. The freedom to worship who we want, how we want, is fairly unique to the American experience. Peter, the apostles, and most of Christ's church through the ages have been a suffering church. I mean, think about it. Our nation was formed because of religious persecution in places like Holland and England and Spain. We came here and we're not forced to be Anglican or forced to be Roman Catholic or any other state-prescribed religion. I'm glad for this fact. I'm thankful for the place I live and the freedom I experience. But like any good thing, 
There can be good consequences, and there can be some unintended consequences. I believe one of the great unintended consequences of our religious freedom is that we miss out on the benefit of suffering. Let me say that again because I think you think you misheard me. I believe one of the greatest unintended consequences of our religious freedom is that we miss out on the benefits of suffering. Don't get me wrong. I don't long for pain or persecution. I do not. But I do think that somehow we think it would kill the church when in fact it would strengthen her. We miss out on an alignment with Jesus that is unique and beautiful. Here is words in John 17. If the world hates you, remember it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than his master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they listen to me, they'll listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. He ends by saying, this fulfills what is written in the scriptures. They hated me without cause. This is the kind of suffering we're talking about. Hatred without cause. Hatred for simply being righteous. Peter got to hear these words firsthand from Jesus. When hate came his way, he did not think, what did I do wrong? When hate came his way, he said, no. I rejoice that God has counted me worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. I read a lot and hear a lot these days from from well-meaning evangelicals who are proposing that the reason that our message is being rejected by the world and by millennials and everyone else is because we're being too mean, we're being too condemning, we're being too judgmental. Now, I get in part what they're saying. Every religious movement has some wingnuts. And they just don't get it. And so they'll, they'll use evil to promote good. I'm not talking about those people, okay? Is it possible, I ask you, is it possible that we are hated because Jesus was hated? Jesus said that would, that's what would happen, right? And if we are not hated, should we not wonder what we're doing wrong? We're getting this thing all mixed up. We think we're doing something wrong because we're hated. And Jesus is saying, no, if you're not being hated, you might not be as aligned to me as you think. Jesus never had high hopes that we would fit in. Quite the opposite. He said the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of this world. Peter knew this. And he could say when we suffer, be glad. He knew suffering was temporary he also knew that suffering was refining and this is another part of the perspective suffering has a short shelf life it is true but in its short season it is useful in the hands of god god uses suffering much like fire purifies gold the heat and the flame burn away the impurities revealing the purest of gold god allows the heat of suffering to refine us It burns away what we thought was valuable. There are a lot of things we think are valuable that God says, no, you don't get it. Let go of that. It burns away what we thought was valuable and leaves behind genuine faith, pure faith. This kind of suffering has a way of cutting through the smokescreen and revealing what is real. The genuine faith that is left behind speaks. It speaks. And that brings us to another element of perspective. 
Again and again and again in this letter, Peter talks about suffering for the sake of Jesus. The theme of suffering is located in literally every chapter of this letter, all five of them. In it, Peter keeps raising the benefits of suffering, talking about them again and again. I want you to listen to these verses. Brian's going to be reading them for us. And I want you to hear what you hear in terms of benefits that are derived from suffering. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. For God is pleased when, conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. Do not repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gent gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. As you look at this collection of verses, there are really two themes that emerge. One is the theme of a reward. We have the immediate reward of knowing that we are pleasing God. That when we suffer for righteousness, we are pleasing God. We also have an eternal reward for standing up for Christ through mistreatment. Peter heard it from Jesus firsthand. Rejoice and be glad. Great is your reward in heaven. So persecuted they, the prophets who were before you. So on one hand, we have the benefit of reward. But the other benefit is the benefit of witness. We live in a world that has learned that if it screams and acts rudely, it can get its way. Uh, you see people, I mean, it's almost embarrassing sometimes. Watching people throw a fit, but they've learned in throwing a fit, they'll get their way. What if in the face of suffering, we don't do it the world's way? We do not demand our rights. We do not march. We do not protest. We don't post about it relentlessly. We don't yell at customer service. What if for the sake of Christ, we take it as he did without retort, without retaliation, they will likely not say it on the spot, but I promise you this. They will notice the difference and wonder who the difference maker is. What did that verse say? Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you. You know why they ask about the hope? Because they see the distress you're going through and they say, normal people don't react that way. Normal people don't react that way when they go through this stuff. What in the world is different about you? 
it opens up an opportunity to speak. Suffering opens up an opportunity for witness. And that is why we are here, isn't isn't it? To call attention to Christ and to call attention to the way of Christ, which is dramatically unique and completely different from that of the world. Anyone can throw a fit. Not everyone can turn the other cheek. What if the way you endure injustice speaks louder for Christ than any other way you could possibly witness? Is it worth it? Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. And if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. I want you to hear again the words of Peter from chapter 4. He writes, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. There it is again. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. Yet another benefit. I'm a partner with Christ in his suffering when I endure this persecution so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when he is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed. For the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. And if you suffer, however, it must not be for murder or stealing or making trouble or prying into other people's business. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. So if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. And trust your lives to the God who created you. For he will never fail you. Remember I mentioned three themes today? There it is again. God will never fail you. Always faithful. The very last verse of the book, Peter writes in chapter 5, verse 12, I have written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. I don't know a person who suffers that doesn't shake their head and ask, what did I do wrong? What did I do to deserve this? Why me? Why this? Why now? My purpose for writing this book is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. Appreciate the grace. Do we rejoice when God counts us worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus? Might I remind you that Peter did not write this passage, this letter, in, in a state of, um, yeah, thank you. Uh, in, <laughs> he didn't, uh, <laughs> Peter wasn't being theoretical. It is our understanding, not from scripture, but from church tradition, it is our understanding that when the end of Peter's life came, it came by way of crucifixion. Hung on a cross. And when his executioner said, it's time to die, he said, I cannot die the same way Jesus did. Hang me upside down. 
And he died hanging upside down on a cross. And I'm convinced based on what he wrote, he did it with gladness. And great joy. Knowing that he was counted worthy of the name of Jesus. That gives our 2018 American brain something to chew on, doesn't it? When it seems like our rights are being violated as Christians. <laughs> Might we, instead of fighting as good Americans, think maybe it's time to rejoice that we're finally worthy of the name. Maybe, just maybe, a different reaction is in order. Our Father in heaven, there is not a person in this room that wants to suffer, and you can put me at the top of that list. But if we do, when we do, help us to hear the words of this man, to follow in his example, to be reminded of the words of you, Lord, there from that mountain. And receive what comes with joy because we know that when there is joy, others will look and say, what in the world? How does a human being act like that in the face of what they're going through? And we are given the greatest opportunity in the world to say, this is why I have hope. His name is Jesus. Where I